How are you this week? I'm doing well, sir. How are you today, Pete? I am all right. I actually contemplated ending our segments with uh, asking you, like, how you think the Panthers were going to do, and I'm kind of glad now that I, I have not. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of kind of had kind of some rough, some rough games here lately. Yeah, uh, been a little tough. Yeah, one of the, it, that, that that New York game that was that was pretty ugly there. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, New York is really really good, right? They're like they got like one win this season, so. That's... Exactly. Yeah. What, what were they? One and uh, one and three, I guess. Now two and three. I, I, uh... Yeah, they're better than us. I think. No, they're not actually by record. But um, yeah, it's not get. It's uh, well, we hope they get. I guess better. we're now what three and four. This is a uh, week seven. Three yeah, and be four. Three and four right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I'm not optimistic, but we shall see. We shall see. Uh, now, are, is there reason to be optimistic about the budget? Now, that's a segue. That's a professional segue right there. I should just warn the audience, don't try that good. at I'm home. i start taking notes on these kinds of things. That was sharp. Uh, well, well, we're, uh, I guess we're, we're, we're playing a little better than the Panthers right now. Right? Oh, there on you the go. Uh, and by the way, I am a Panthers fan. Right. I'm not throwing any shade there at all. I want to see us win every game. Um, I'll tell you where we are on the, uh, on the budget. We've, uh, we've had some great conversations uh, with, the, uh, with, with the Democrats and with the governor, and, and I've just made it clear with, uh, with where our caucus is that we – are going to insist on a budget that lowers taxes, that cuts regulation, that protects individual liberty, uh, and and that does not, you know, unless we can be convinced of some way that it works and it's not an entitlement, expand any kind of uh, Medicaid or anything. So we've that's where we are. We've been uh, we, we've been solid on that, and we just need to get on past this. There's there's billions of dollars, Pete, billions of dollars in federal money and in state money that needs to be put to worthy things like repairing bridges, like upgrading our schools, uh, upgrading other facilities in the state, investing in broadband, water, sewer, that needs to happen. And none of that stuff should be held hostage over this Medicaid expansion that, that the governor continues to push. Uh, we just can't do that. We need to get these funds out there. The taxpayers of this state pay taxes, and they deserve and expect to see those dollars Get turned around and put back into something that's uh, that's meaningful, not wasted, but put into something that actually uh, helps folks in their daily lives. So I, I saw McGuire Woods Consulting put out a, an update uh, on the budget negotiations, saying that legislative leaders sent a budget counter offer to Governor Cooper on Tuesday. Latest negotiations uh, focused on raises for teachers and state employees, but not Medicaid expansion. Um, and uh, so where is this now in this uh, uh, offer, counteroffer process with uh, teacher pay raises and state employee pay raises? Uh, so, th- And that is a very accurate statement of it. It was sent not this past Tuesday, but the Tuesday before. Gotcha. Uh, and, we had, and we had a meeting uh, this past Friday with the governor at the governor's mansion and, and talked through it. And, and uh, what I'm saying on the radio is very consistent to what I said uh, there directly to the governor. And I also made it uh, known and very clear that if if the governor vetoes the budget, I have enough Democrats in the House who will vote to override the veto. Um, I think the Senate is, is concerned that they may not be there, although I, I'm kind of reading the tea leaves, and I think they're getting close themselves. But, but the House ha- fully has the votes to pass a very responsible budget that funds what needs to be funds, that gives the appropriate pay increases for our teachers and hardworking state employees, and also allows for tax and regulatory relief. 
Do you think that the governor uh, and uh, members of his party benefit more from having the issue for the campaign season of no teacher pay raises than they would to get teacher pay raises? Do you think that's part of their calculation? So there are those who believe that the governor and the Democrats sort of secretly don't want to see these pay increases happen so that they have it as an issue. Listen, that is not the way to govern. Uh, People's pay, the amount that people pay in taxes, these investments should not be used as some sort of you know, political football or try to be used to take an advantage of these. This is the, this is the people's money, as you know, Pete, and it needs to be spent in a wise way. And look, we, we're seeing inflation thanks to this, this president we have right now who's single handedly destroying our, our nation and our economy. But you know, we know we're going to have to give pay increases to keep up with the, with the doggone inflation that's happening because of uh, the, the macroeconomic policy or, or lack thereof. Yeah. At the national level. I mean, you don't believe that? You're not an economic student? Well, go to the gas station. See how much you pay for gas right now. Yeah. By the way, have you seen those stickers around that have the picture <laughs> of Joe Biden pointing to the thing that said, I did this? I need to find some of those. That's right. Well, listeners know where I can get them. You I can make them. You could probably make them if you got some downtime. I don't know, like on a weekend, do like, uh, like Zazzle.com or something. You can make those things yourself. Now, I don't know. You probably don't want to get busted slapping stickers on, you know, gas pumps around the state, you know, around Shelby. You'd probably be fine. But, like, you start going up to Raleigh, like, somebody catches you on video. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, for, fortunately, uh, our region of the state is uh, not quite as woke as up here in the uh, – uh, up up here in the, the the baby swamp, as I call it. The so uh, we, we we it's a yeah, it's not really a swamp. It's more like just kind of a little puddle, I guess. A bog. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have to come up bog. with. <laughs> it's a bog. There's you know there's a you know there's a you know you, you go through the bog, you might see like a shrek or something running around. But anyway, yeah. you know it, it's 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 one of those things where you know, we joke about it on one hand, but in reality, I mean this is you just shake your head in disbelief. Where we are just a little over a year and a half later with President Trump not being in office, look at the difference. Look at how, I mean, you go to buy, I like bacon. You look at me and tell I like to eat, right? I go to eat <laughs> Everybody bacon. likes well, bacon. Like, Everyone does, right? Come on. <laughs> it was almost like $10 a pack. Oh, my God. I mean, that's, that, that's crazy. So, you know, you imagine somebody that's on a fixed income or somebody that's struggling to get by that's trying to go to the grocery store and buy groceries, trying to buy gas. Yeah. I mean, these failed policies are making that happen. And I'll tell you. I think a lot of folks who, who maybe just you know they were mad about mean tweets or whatever, they're having a lot of buyer's regret on mm-hmm. this presidential race, and I think you're going to see a huge Republican wave in this next election. So I saw a stat, right? The inflation uh, somewhere in around five point four percent or something, and if I remember correctly, like that doesn't even include fuel and food or something. Um, so essentially, right. if unless you get a five percent or five point four percent pay raise this year everyone's getting a, a pay cut, right? You're, you you have less value for your dollar now. Right. You're going backwards. And, yeah. and that's and that's what's sad. And, you know, it's amazing how Democrats always like to talk about how they want to stick it to the rich. Let me tell you something. When you're causing gas to go up, when you're causing food and necessities to go up, you're sticking it to those who can least afford it. And that's, what exa- that's exactly what kind of policies that we've been seeing uh, out of Washington. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I saw the Emergency Management Act uh, that that got passed through. Right, it's headed over to the governor now, and you've got the election integrity bill heading down as well. Uh, what are the updates on those? Uh, I'm assuming the EMA Governor Cooper's not going to go along with that. 
I, I, I you know, I, I hope he'll sign them, but I'm not foolish to think that he will. Uh, that look, that the no one person, Governor Cooper or nobody else, no one governor should have the kind of authority that our governor has exercised during this never-ending state of emergency that has restricted commerce, even tried to restrict your ability to go to church, has forced all these mandates on folks. It's just not right. I mean, I, I'm, for, I'm for public health. I'm for making sure that we're safe. But these guys have crossed the line. I mean, the, this, the, I mean this sham that uh, President Biden tried with this so-called executive order to force uh, vaccinations on everybody, look, I was vaccinated. I think it's a good thing to do. But you know what, Pete? I think it ought to be a person's choice if they get vaccinated. Uh, but we're trying to rein in the governor every step we can. Uh, and it's not a partisan thing. I don't care who the governor is. No one person should have that much control over the lives of 10 million North Carolinians. It's just not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speaker Tim Moore, always a pleasure. Thanks for your time. And um, if the legislative session ever does end, uh, you're welcome to come on in studio for any of these if you would like. I know you may, I well, mean, thank you. you're going to have to drive through. For how, we're, well, yeah, we're preparing for Halloween and Thanksgiving. <laughs> Hopefully we won't have to celebrate Christmas here. Though. We're holding out hope. Christmas at the bog. There you go with uh, Speaker <laughs> Moore. Thank, right. thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Let's have uh, the Speaker of the House was talking about the uh, House. Did a concurrence vote is what it's called. House Bill 264, the Emergency Powers Accountability Act. And uh, basically, so the House passes a version, the Senate passes a version, and then it goes to uh, a uh, conference committee and then make changes and whatever. And then you got to vote to concur. And so that's what occurred. And there was it was a 66 to 44 vote last week. The legislation requires the governor to get concurrence from the Council of State. So agreement from the Council of State for an emergency declaration that lasts more than a week. This really isn't outrageous. I, I know. I mean, look, I, I, I get it. You know, like there's a, a lot of theater involved in politics. I understand that. But from a logical and rational point of view, this is not this is not controversial. This is not really beyond the pale. This is not outrageous. They're saying if you are the governor, you can act if there's like a local disaster, covers a couple counties, like a hurricane or something, and it, you know, comes in and it just rips through the coastal counties. You can do whatever you need to do. You you are totally free to declare states of emergency for all these counties, all of that. But if you're going to do this at a statewide level, you can still act. You can still go very quickly. But you don't get to have it run indefinitely. And it doesn't get to be unlimited forever until you decide. That's not the system of uh, governance that we have. Or we should. It is. Basically, this was a. This is a loophole that was created in the bill drafting process of the original emergency management act, it didn't foresee this kind of a thing. It was thinking in terms of hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, wasn't thinking of a pandemic that, I mean, we have been in a state of emergency now for about 600 days. The, uh, governor would have to notify the council of state within 48 hours after declaring the emergency and get legislative approval to the measure 
uh, to extend beyond 45 days. So this is statewide emergency. That would mean an area of 67 or more counties. So two-thirds of the counties makes it a statewide emergency, which I think is fair. So if it's only half the counties, this none of this applies, okay? So if these people who are making this argument, well, what if something happens? He's got to be able to respond. He can. He can respond. Unless you, what you think like some meteor is going to like take out the entire state and he's going to need the whole state to be under emergency. And then what you think there's going to be Republicans on the Council of State, they're going to be like, well, I'm not sure. Well, I don't want Governor Cooper to get those emergency powers again, so let the meteor just do its thing. Come on. The Council of State, by the way, these are the 10 statewide elected positions. So the governor, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, uh, secretary of state, agriculture commissioner, commissioner of labor, commissioner of insurance, um, Department of Public Instruction, the superintendent, the treasurer, and the auditor. Okay, All 10 of those positions are elected statewide. And they control, you know, they oversee, they're in charge of various sectors of the economy, various sectors of the government. And it makes sense to get their input before you do something like, I don't know, just spitballing here, but shut down the entire state's economy. Like maybe something like that, you know, maybe, hey, we should ask some other people before we go ahead and do this. And if you want to keep it rolling for 600 freaking days, then maybe you should get some more buy-in. And by the way, do you think that maybe more people would support your efforts here if you had gotten their buy-in at the beginning and along the way? Do you think maybe if you hadn't just run roughshod right over them, that maybe they'd be a little bit more amenable to your mandates and, and your executive orders? Cooper's executive order declaring state, uh, state of emergency has set restrictions on people's movements, shut down businesses, limited gatherings, closed schools, put mask mandates and social distancing in place. Keith Kidwell, a Republican, the primary sponsor of the bill from Beaufort, he says if Cooper vetoes it, um, or I'm sorry, he says, I am prepared to reintroduce the bill again in the next session when I get reelected. If you look at the bill, vetoing it uh, would show the unreasonableness of the governor. He doesn't need anything but the Council of State to declare an emergency, as in the current law. And he should have done that with this. It only impacts when he declares a statewide state of emergency, and that is defined by two-thirds or more of the counties. That's it. Otherwise, like, what are you saying? You want you want Mark Robinson to be able to declare an indefinite, unlimited state of emergency? Democrats, do you want that? Is this what you're angling for? If you don't want Robinson to have it, then you should not want Cooper to have it either. So we uh, promoted the fact that the speaker was coming on on Twitter and got a response from fella named James, who's a leftist, and uh, says, good old boy Tim Moore, the man who used the 9-11 anniversary as a political ploy to override a veto. <laughs> this, is, this is Blue Anon. Blue Anon, like QAnon, they traffic in fake news misinformation. The left believes in North Carolina, the left believes 
that on the anniversary of 9-11, all the Democrats were at some 9-11 memorial and the Republicans used their absence while they're at the 9-11 memorial to override the governor's veto of the budget. And that's it's not true. Now, Republicans that were present that morning did, in fact, bring up the budget override vote for a vote and did, in fact, override it. Now, it didn't pass in the Senate, so the budget veto was never completely overridden because the House did it, but the Senate did not. But the Republicans were very clear that if the Democrats ever did not show up for session, that the Republicans, if they got the chance, they said they're going to do this. Jason Sane from Lincoln County was very clear, said, I've been very clear. Listen to the clarity as I say it. I will bring this up at any moment in order to override the veto. And if you don't like the rules, well, then you got to change the rules. Right, but those are the rules. And Democrats know this because they wrote the rules. First point. Second point. The Democrats were not at a 9-11 memorial. They just didn't show up for work that day. Now, there was a comment made by a representative, Deb Butler, who got up there and acted like an idiot. I will not yield, Mr. Speaker! Screaming at the top of her lungs. Should have been removed from the floor. And actually, had Democrats known the rules, if they had just walked out, then there would not have been enough votes for the vote to occur. There would not have been enough uh, uh, people attending the session. But so righteous in their indignation and interested in making a YouTube viral video were they that they could not stop screaming and the vote occurred. But all those Democrats, they were not at a 9-11 memorial. Nobody was. I think there was one member who was at a... 9-11 9-11 event somewhere. I don't even think it was in Raleigh, but um, no, according to Deb Butler in her screeching screed, um, she said that they were across the street working on the redistricting maps, which was illegal. <laughs> they were not supposed to be working on the maps outside the eyes of the public. As per the court ruling that Democrats sought to get <laughs> they won their court ruling got the the orders from the judge and then after this came out then they were told that well that doesn't apply to us we can draw whatever maps we want that was just for the republicans no that was for everybody sorry so anyway that's blue and on for you that's spreading the misinformation and the like um oh my goodness I, this was funny i came across this story by steve harrison he's a uh, Reporter he used to be at the Charlotte Observer. Now he's over at the NPR affiliate. Full disclosure, I worked there as a membership assistant. Lo, those many years ago, mailing people coffee mugs. I do not get invited to any of their events. Um, at the North Carolina State Fair this week, the state Republican Party sold magnets with an unusual catchphrase. <laughs> do you know what the catchphrase is? <laughs> Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> There, this is so. This is adorable. You've got these. Uh, you have these left of center, shall we call them, media operations that are trying to explain to their audience why they're now starting to hear this phrase. Let's go, Brandon, because it's starting. It's this is how long it takes something like this to cross over. Think about that for a moment. How long has the "Let's go, Brandon" thing been a thing? 
How many weeks has that been going around? Three? When was the when was the NASCAR Xfinity race at Talladega Super Speedway in Alabama stand? When was that? Yeah, it was like earlier this month. It was like three or four weeks ago. So that's how long it takes for a story to get out of the, quote, right-wing media echo chamber, the bubble, and break through to the left-wing media echo chamber. Three to four weeks. And that's only if it actually breaks through. And by the way, this is a very convenient thing that they get to do is they ignore a story until they can't, but they ignore a story and then when they are finally dragged to the story to have to report on it because it breaks through, then they say, well, it's basically only been around in the right-wing media echo chamber. That's kind of how they dismiss the importance of the story. But this is an explainer, and I've seen a couple of these now from (laughs) from various publications that are telling their, uh, you know, their their oh-so-fragile ears of their listeners, um, and their audience members about what this means. But every, so everybody else may wonder. So if you're a conservative who's active on social media, you may know who Brandon is and what that means. Yeah. Or if you're, I don't know, a NASCAR fan or a sports fan, like you realize, like they've been chanting this stuff for, well, since the beginning, I mean, they've been chanting F Joe Biden. They've been chanting that since the beginning of college football season, which by the way, why are all the case counts going down? Why are all the COVID numbers going down when we've got all these people packing into the stadia and such? such? I digress. He says, everybody else may wonder who the heck is Brandon and why are Republicans so interested in him? Well, the answer goes back to early October, blah, blah, blah. There's this race car driver, Brandon Brown. His team is based in Mooresville, and he had just won his first race. And in the interview after the race... NBC sports reporter Kelly Stavast, 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 I think is how she pronounces it. The crowd began saying a vulgar chant that had recently begun circulating at college football games. Bleep Joe Biden. It was clearly audible on television. The reporter, however, told her audience that they were chanting something else. During the interview, she says, oh, you can hear the chants from the crowd. Let's go, Brandon. Some conservatives saw the reporter's misstatement as an example of the news media misrepresenting their views. <laughs> uh, no. No, it's an example of the media covering up bad stuff for Democrats. It's not a misrepresentation of the conservatives' views. No, it's the media acting as a Praetorian guard for the Democrats. That's what it is the perfect encapsulation of. And so now, Let's Go Brandon has gone viral. As an internet meme, it's all over the place because it it not only conveys the sentiments you know toward the president, but it also conveys the mockery uh, that we uh, engage in of the media for its water carrying for Democrats. Nathan Wurzel points out on Twitter, letting people know that Let's Go Brandon bothers you might be a tactical mistake. When you think about it, he says it's a clean way to express dissatisfaction with the president and expressing dissatisfaction with the president is the most American thing there is. 
And the poetic beauty of Let's Go Brandon is that it was created by a a member of the elite legacy media, NBC, to try to pretend that there is no dissatisfaction with the president. So, I mean, I'm not not trying to, you know, tell the NPR affiliates reporter here that I not really understand why conservatives are saying what they're saying and what Let's Go Brandon's all about. But if you're going to do an explainer, you know, to your lefty listeners, I don't know, call me. I'll let you know. Uh, Displays of hatred. This is what he writes. Displays of hatred towards presidents isn't new. President Barack Obama was caricatured as the Batman villain, the Joker, or as a Muslim not born in the U.S., President Donald Trump was called an an agent of Russia and mocked when a baby Trump blimp was flown during anti-Trump protests in London. (laughs) Which I'm sorry, that thing's adorable. The the blimp thing is adorable. But it's actually, it's not a blimp. It's a balloon. It's it's an inflatable balloon. It's It's not even very big. Have you ever seen the thing? Like an actual, not like a picture of it. I mean, that's adorable, but like a picture of it, like with some, with, you know, next to something. So you get an idea of the scale of the thing. It's not very big. Like two people can hold it. I mean, it's bigger than like a happy birthday balloon. Although I guess it depends on what kind of parties you're going to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not that big. It's, I don't know, probably say 15 feet, 20 feet long, something like that. Um, Early in his term, Joe Biden did not elicit the same anger from the opposition party as both Obama and Trump did. But with the president's poll numbers declining, Republicans have seized upon that chant. There you go. Got it. Republicans are seizing. If they're not pouncing, they're seizing. It may be a sanitized slogan, but it comes from the same dark place. Dark place? It's same. What place would that be? By the way, um, let's go, Brandon. It is a sanitized version. It's a clean version. It's it's like bless your heart, <laughs> right? It's a it's a clean way of saying something that, by the way, folks on the left, they said and have been saying. They've been some really vulgar, nasty people, but the um. The uh, the narrative talking point has gone out. You can see there were a whole bunch of stories uh, being written. I think Vox did one. There was a write-up at the Washington Post about it, about how uh, this vulgarity, this new level of vulgarity, we've, we've not seen it. The Washington Post, they did a news article. Biden's critics hurl increasingly vulgar taunts. Like this from the crowd that, like made statues of naked Trump and did drawings of naked Trump and had F Donald Trump and DJT. And they had like all like, give me, they, they had, they had uh, snuff films, right? Fetish snuff films about him. They murdered him in a play in the park. Kathy Griffin chopped his head off for something like for a photo shoot. Like give me a break. I'm old enough to remember, though, when, you know, Bush is literally Hitler. I'm, yeah, I remember that, too. And then that just whooped right down the memory hole, and all of a sudden nobody could remember a time when people were so angry at a president like they were at Obama. 
Byron York, in his daily memo newsletter, wrote about this uh, yesterday. He said that uh, what the paper is saying is a growing phenomenon of people around the country directing raw insults at the president as an example. The paper pointed to President Joe Biden's recent visit to his hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania, where a woman stood on the street with a sign that said, F. Joe Biden. At other times, Biden detractors simply say FJB, which stands for the same. I mean, it's not like, you know, a woman riding a bicycle flips off the presidential motorcade and gets treated like a hero and, you know, was able to launch a uh, GoFundMe and then use that to parlay it to a run for office, which I think she won. She's in Loudoun County. Yeah, that woman. Remember her? So the left rewards vulgarity. Now they're shocked that the right is doing it too. I told you folks, you're not going to like it when the right plays by your rules. Oh, and also, Saul Alinsky taught us about how ridicule is very potent and all. And oh my gosh, the left really doesn't like to be ridiculed. They really don't like to be mocked. The right has been getting mocked my entire adult life. So like, that's just, you, you develop thick skin over time. But the left, well, I mean, look what happens. You make some jokes if you're Dave Chappelle, and all of a sudden it's like, you can't be on Netflix anymore. The Post also noted that uh, the Let's Go Brandon phenomenon, if anybody doesn't know what that means, I uh, explained it. The chants were clearly audible. And, uh, you know, NBC uh, reporter, sportscaster tried to cover it up. And as fast as things happen on the Internet, people began saying Let's Go Brandon as a snarky and clean way to say FJB. All this derision directed toward the president has disturbed some in the media. The Washington Post reports that the current eruption of anti-Biden signs and uh, changes, however, is on another level far more vulgar and widespread. Like, we've never seen this kind of thing before. Except, of course, when Robert De Niro appeared at the Tony Awards and said the thing, you know, bleep Trump. And then the audience gave him a standing ovation. Or when Eminem appeared at a music festival in England and the audience cheered and began uh, uh, chanting F Donald Trump unprompted, right? This is brand new. We've never seen this kind of thing before. Yeah, what a world they must live live in, I swear. Uh, I do swear this. Up next, Brett Winterbull on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.